how many of you enjoyed Pastor Matt Bell last week when he shared? Sitting right there in the front row and watching him preach, and I was watching the sweat fly off of his ears and his neck. Did you see that? I don't know if you can see it from back there, but man, he was sweating it up, and uh, Asked him if it was hot up here. He said, no. He said, I just sweat. <laughs> he did an amazing job sweating while he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he kind of launched us back into the Eternal Word series. We are, this is actually week 21, message 21. Um, 21 messages. Uh, and we're gonna, this will be halfway through John chapter 7. So you know there's 21 chapters uh, in the gospel of John. So you can kind of do the math of where we are right now. And we started in January. So we're just going to keep plowing along. And digging into God's word, looking at the life of Christ. When you're studying through any of the Gospels, it's about looking at the life of Christ. And so we look at them at this angle and another angle and a little deeper and, and, and just different ways in which we see the life of Christ. Because it's all about Christ. It's all about Jesus. So I titled the message this morning, Conformed to the Image of Christ? Question mark. Conformed to the Image of Christ? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this privilege to open your word as we continue in our study of the gospel of John. And I just pray that you would help every single one of us to, to hear, not only with our ears, but to hear with our heart, to have receptive hearts that our hearts would not be hard, but that they would be soft towards you and towards your word. I just pray that you'd speak to us all. And I pray this morning that you would help me to open my mouth to preach your word and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the title kind of gives away what we're going to focus on about becoming more like Jesus. And if you're a Christian, that's the prayer that you pray, is it not? Lord, make me like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to think like Jesus and act like Jesus and serve like Jesus. I want to talk like Jesus. I want to be conformed into the image of of the Son of Christ. And this is what the Word of God says takes place when we are under the, the power of the Word of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be conformed into the image of Jesus. And that is our prayer. Is that, is that your prayer as a believer? You want to be like Jesus. I think sometimes we don't fully understand what it actually means to be like Jesus. Sometimes we, we only like to think of Jesus in ways that are, are kind of maybe non-controversial or non-challenging or I want to be like Jesus in all the, the nice easy things that he did, you know, like feed the poor and, and do outreaches and I want to be like Jesus in all these ways that, that aren't confrontive to the culture or challenging to those who may disagree and, and so, some, so sometimes we only want to be like Jesus in certain ways, so the ways that are maybe easier for us to walk in. But some other areas where we look at the character and the commitment of Jesus and, and we're not necessarily where we need to be. And that would be my life and all of our lives as Christians. I think we need to see who Jesus is. And I think this text we're going to look at really reveals some commitments and some, some character traits of Christ. You know, Jesus, when he walked the earth, he was the God man. He was 100% God, but he was 100% man. And so he was the incarnation of the invisible God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And so Jesus was God in the flesh, but he was a man who was subjected to weaknesses and temptations. Just like we would have temptations, he was subjected to temptations. 
And so Jesus as a man, we're going to look at it through that lens of Jesus as a man. As he walked the earth and called to fulfill the ministry that his heavenly father had given him. And so we're going to continue where Pastor Matt left off. And if you remember where he left off, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths is, 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 where, uh, is where we are at. And, and, and the disciples are headed to Jerusalem. And if you remember from last week, his brothers and some of the disciples were talking to Jesus. And they were saying, Jesus, you need to go to the feast. Go to Jerusalem and show yourself and reveal yourself. And, and people aren't going to follow you unless you really demonstrate your power. And, and so... Jesus, what did we see? Jesus said he was not going to go to the feast. And we're going to pick up here where it says that he, he does go, but he goes privately. And so we're going to unpack these verses where we see, we're going to see where he goes and what he does and what we can see about the character of Jesus. So let's pick up John 7, starting in verse 14. It says, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it this man is learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not my own, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Jesus answered them, I did one work. Speaking of the, the crippled man that was healed, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Wow. Some amazing things that we're going to see here in this conversation between Jesus and the religious leaders of the Jews in the temple. The main point of the message would be this. I'm going to have four subpoints, but the, the main point that we're going to see in this message is this, is that Jesus goes privately to the feast, but reveals his character and commitment by publicly teaching in a place of hostility. Jesus goes privately, doesn't go to Jerusalem where his brothers wanted him to go, go in a big public display of your power. No, he doesn't go to Jerusalem. He goes to the temple privately and begins to teach, but in that teaching, he's going to reveal his character and his commitments by publicly teaching in a place of hostility, where the religious leaders of the Jews were. They were in the temple. So what do we see in this section that reveals the commitments and the character of Jesus? And we're going to, before we look at it, I just have to ask the question, do you want to be like Jesus? You know, do you want to be like Jesus? Do we want to be like Jesus? Well, the first thing we see in this text of who Jesus is, number one, Jesus was a man of courage. He's a man of courage. Look at the text. About the middle of the feast, verse 14, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. He was a man of courage. He went into the middle of the temple and began to teach. The middle of the feast. What, what was the feast? It was the Feast of Tabernacles. 
where, they would, where, the, where, where the Jews would celebrate the fact that the, the Lord had protected them in the wilderness. And so they would, every, every year around this time, they would celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And, and his brothers, they wanted him to make a big public appearance and to go and to, to demonstrate his power so that he could really prove who he, who he was. But I think there was mixed motives with his brothers and the other disciples that were trying to push him to go publicly. I, I think here's some reasons why I think his brothers want him to go to the heart of the city and put on a display of power. I think it's because they wanted further proof. You remember the text last week? Even his brothers did not believe in him. So they're like, you need to go and prove yourself some more because we don't even believe in you. I think another reason they wanted him to go to Jerusalem is because Jerusalem would be the place during a feast time to go public. In short, more bang for your buck. Hey, if you're the Messiah, you're doing all these miracles, go to the big city, go to Jerusalem, go to, the, to Jerusalem when there are, there are hundreds of thousands of Jews from all around the region that are coming for, this, for, for the feast week. You get more bang for your buck there. I, I think there's another reason why his brothers wanted him to, to do that because if he did go to Jerusalem and he did ascend to power, they could ride on his coattails. I think these are all the reasons, but what did Jesus do? He didn't take the bait. He didn't take the bait. Why? Because that is not why he came. He didn't come for their plans. And that's so true about God. He doesn't always come for our plans, do things our way, the way that we want him to. How often do we like, God, I, I think I have an idea of what you should do in this situation. That's, that's what his brothers did. Like, Jesus, go. You need to do that. This is what you need to do. No. No, thank you. He had another plan. He had other plans. Where did he go? He could have went anywhere, I guess, privately. Could have went to someone's house, hanging out, looking through the window, watching the feast going on. Where did Jesus go? He went to the, to the seat of hostility against him. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. He went into their stomping ground, and he walked into the temple, and he didn't just walk in and sit down. He didn't just walk in and mind his own business. He walked in and opened the law. Begin to explain the Torah. Begin to teach the word of God. Jesus was a man of courage. Instead of going public in the heart of Jerusalem in the middle of the festivities, instead of seeking public adoration, he goes to the center of hostility against him. And we see this all throughout the Gospels, don't we? The scribes and the Pharisees were hostile against Jesus. Who was it that eventually were the ones who were the catalyst to having Jesus murdered? It was the religious leaders of the Jews, the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of the Jews. They were the ones who eventually offered up Jesus to be crucified instead of a criminal. And so, so this is what we see. Jesus goes into their stomping ground to teach. He goes into a place that, that people would not have wanted him there. These leaders of the Jews, these religious leaders, they, when Jesus walked in, no doubt, there was, what in the world? What's he doing here? Why is he here? Why is he teaching? And we're going to see. They begin to question him. Jesus goes in the middle of where there would be hostility. And so from the perspective of the humanity of Christ, Jesus had courage. I mean, how courageous is that? Do you like to go places where people don't like you? I actually avoid it like the plague. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. If I see somebody that I know doesn't like me, I mean, I, I, turn, le- I turn right or I turn left or I, I go down that aisle or another aisle or I, whatever. In, in, in my flesh, I do that as a pastor. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> he didn't shy away. He had courage. 
He didn't shy away from difficult moments. You see it all throughout the Gospels. He didn't shy away from difficult moments or conversations or confrontations. He had courage in the mission he had been given. He had a single-eyed vision for the mission that the Father had given him. That's why he had courage because all the different peripheral distractions that we deal with in our humanity that would keep us off of our mission, fear of man and intimidation and, and I don't want to uh, uh, get people mad at me even more, all those peripheral things that could distract us from the mission that God has given us, Jesus in his humanity he had courage. He went right up into the middle of the temple and he began to teach in a place where people the teachers that were there would have, would, would, would have not liked that. They would have hated him for it. But, you know, we, we see this all throughout Jesus' life. There's two places I want to think about where we see Jesus showing courage. One, one, one place is right in the beginning. One of the f- first references besides his birth where we see courage is when he was 12 years old. What, what happened when he was 12? As a caravan Joseph and Mary and Jesus are going back home and they're in a caravan and Jesus just slips out the caravan and he goes to the, to the temple and he sits down with the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. He sits down with them and he begins to dialogue with them and ask them questions. Look at Luke 2, verse 45 and 46. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Twelve years old. I just, you know, having, being in the middle of raising kids, but having raised a couple of 12-year-olds that are older than 12 now, I, I, I just, I think that kids shy away from those types of situations. Children are often intimidated to have conversations with adults to sit down and talk with them and ask them questions, much less those that are highly respected in their field of study. You know, there's some 12-year-olds that are just, you know, they, they'll break through any situation, right? But for the most part, kids don't want to be in those circumstances and situations. And you see at a very early age, he knew what his mission was. He knew what his purpose was. He even told his parents, why are you looking for me? Don't you know i got to be about my father's business? But there was courage that was there. And then you see, here's another area we see courage at the end of his earthly life. Twelve years old, and then at the end, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is getting ready to be crucified, about to experience one of the most horrific deaths that any human being could experience through crucifixion. And he wants to go and pray. The humanity of Christ is seen so strongly right here. Listen to this, Matthew 26. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. You ever been sorrowful and troubled in your heart and your spirit because of what you're walking through, because of the difficulties, the, the pain, the struggle that you're in? You've been sorrowful and troubled. Well, he tells them, he says, my soul is very sorrowful, even to, even to death. Wow. Think of the humanity of Christ. This is a picture of the humanity of Christ, the God-man, fully God but fully man. He was sorrowful even to the point of death. He's in the garden. He's, he's, he knows what he's about to experience. And he's gets Peter and James and John, and he's looking for comfort and help and support in the trial he's walking through. He takes them to himself, and he says, he says, he says my soul. He said to them, can you see it, Peter, James, and John, I am sorrowful 
even to the point where I feel like I'm about to die. Remain here and watch with me, pray with me. Isn't that powerful? I mean, think about that for a moment in your life. Isn't that what what you desire and what, what you want in your life? You reach out to people in your life, brothers and sisters, and you reach out to them through text or phone calls, or you, you see them, and you like, I need you to pray with me. I am very sorrowful. I am grieving. I am struggling. I am burdened. This is Christ in this moment, hours away from brutal pain through crucifixion, and he has his three closest, Peter, James, and John, and he says, stay with me. Watch with me. Pray with me. And I feel like I'm about to die. Verse 39, and going a little further, he fell on his face. Even to the point where he's losing his strength, he fell on his face and he prayed saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And the next word demonstrates courage, doesn't it? Nevertheless. Not my will, but your will be done. Courage. Jesus was a man of courage. Lord, make me like Jesus. Lord, make me like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus, right? But look at who Jesus was. He went into the middle of the temple, into the middle of hostility. And he says, this is where I'm coming, and I'm coming to teach. I'm coming to teach the law of God. And he goes even at his point of death. He has courage even in the point of great sorrow and to the point of death. He says, nevertheless, not what I want, but God, what you want. Jesus was a man of courage. Courage in the face of fear. Courage in the face of intimidation. Courage in the face of pressure. Oh, may we be like Christ, right? Courage. Have courage in every circumstance that we face, every challenge we walk through. It's like the story of a young lady on a cruise ship that slipped overboard, she accidentally fell overboard. And she's in the water and she's flailing around, she's hollering and screaming and next thing you know, everyone's watching kind of frozen in awe, what's gonna happen? Who's gonna save the, the, the young lady in the water? And an, an older gentleman, he's in the water, all of a sudden he's in the water and, and everyone's watching this drama unfold and the older gentleman gets the younger lady and, and someone throws a, a, a life preserver over and they, they, they pull him to, to the boat and they, they rescue, he rescues the, the young lady. And, and so that night at the cruise ship, nobody could think of anything else but the fact that this older gentleman saved this young lady. And so they want to celebrate on the cruise ship. And they want to they celebrate this hero, this older man that saved a younger woman. They want to celebrate a hero. And so they're throwing a party, and they, they want the hero to give a speech. So the hero steps up to the microphone, gets ready to give his speech. And this is what the hero says. He says, I have one question. Who pushed me? (laughs) Who pushed me? Right? Is that not us? How often we look at who Jesus is and he has such courage and we're like, I would have never done that. Who pushed me? It wouldn't have been me. I wouldn't have done that in my own strength. I wouldn't have have stepped up in that moment. I wouldn't have had the courage to do that, to say that, to go there. We want to be like Jesus, but we have to realize so often we are not like Jesus. We need a little pushing. Do you ever need a little pushing? You know who, who does the pushing? It's the Holy Spirit that does the pushing. Who pushed me? It's the Holy Spirit does. Where does courage come from? It Courage comes from the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Who pushed me when I didn't want to go? 
Who pushed me when I, when I couldn't speak? Who pushed me when I was too afraid? It was the Holy Spirit who pushed me. You do remember Peter and John? They healed a man, a crippled man, lame man, and they were arrested and questioned after healing a crippled man. And they're questioned by the Sanhedrin, and they're trying to intimidate them and get them to stop speaking about Jesus. And so they said, you know, we're going to threaten you, and we're going to keep you in jail unless you stop speaking about Jesus. And Peter and James, Peter and John said this, said, said we can't help but speak of the things we have seen and heard. So I'm sorry, you can tell us to shut up, but we are not going to shut up. Okay, so then they release them. They go back to the disciples, Peter and John. They share the story. And there's kind of this turmoil in the early days of the church being birthed because the persecution, is, the persecution is ramped up and they need courage. And now Peter and John have been arrested and threatened. And so they're crying out to God. And you see Acts 4.31 in their prayer meeting. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. What happens when you're filled with the Spirit? You continue to speak the word of God with boldness. You want to know what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit? You have courage to speak the word of God with boldness. Amen? Amen. Thank God for the Spirit's empowerment to give us courage, to push us when we want to stand still. That's the first thing we see. Jesus was a man of courage who was filled with the Spirit, who was baptized and the Spirit descended upon him. He was empowered by the Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit. And he followed and obeyed the will of God. And so Jesus was a man of courage. What do we see next? He went in the middle of the temple and he began to teach. The second thing we see, if we, we want to be like Jesus, Jesus loved the Scriptures. He was a man of courage, but he, he loved the Scriptures. Look back at the text, John 17, 15. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning? When he has never studied. Wow, isn't that interesting? So Jesus makes his way into the temple, the place of hostility against him. Says, you know what, I'm going to start teaching you guys a little something. You know, he, not only was Jesus a man, but he was the word incarnate. So how, how did he have knowledge? Because he was the word, right? Right? But there's something interesting here. It's like we know Jesus had great knowledge and he taught like no one has ever taught because he knew the word. He was the word. So, so I'm not saying any of us can ever be like Jesus in our complete understanding of the word of God when you are the word. But there's something we see here in the life of Jesus that is such a great commitment. He loved the scriptures. He had a commitment to the scriptures. And notice when, when they, they say here, therefore, how is it that this man has learning? That, that, that was a hate-filled word that they said. That was a hate-filled phrase, this man. They knew who he was. And, and the words come out later in John chapter 8 as, as the animosity ramps up and it culminates with them wanting to pick up stones to throw at him. They, they basically are saying, this man, he, he, he's, he's born out of adultery. This man, how is it that this man has learning? So what, 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 what are they marveling at? They're marveling at his mastery of the Torah, of the first five books of the law of the Old Testament. And then they say he has never studied. Well, what does that mean, he's never studied? It means what they're saying is, is Jesus has never studied in our schools. He's never gone to our schools. You know, we got the special schools, the right schools, and he's not studied in our schools. He's never been taught by our great rabbis. Jesus was a part of another system, wasn't he? 
But Jesus showed a mastery of the Old Testament scriptures. He showed, and, and what he did by showing his mastery, and you see it all throughout the Gospels, he references the Old Testament. He references the scriptures. And in doing this, Jesus shows his commitment to the word of God. And you know, in the church, in the church today, we often have one or the other. When we talk about courage and a commitment to scripture, we will have people who have courage but no commitment to scripture or no love of the word of God. They're going around with courage and they're, they're talking and they're yelling and they're hollering and they're doing all kind of stuff but they ain't got no biblical foundation. And then sometimes you got people that have a commitment to scripture and a biblical foundation and right doctrine but they have no courage. Jesus was the perfect combination of courage with a commitment to scripture. Jesus knew the scriptures and he was committed to the scripture, and he showed his love and commitment. Do you remember in Matthew chapter four, Jesus' temptation before his earthly ministry? Satan comes and tempts him. What does Jesus say? Matthew four, but he answered, it is written, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus said again to him after temptation, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And he said to him, all these I will give you. Satan said, I'll give you all these kingdoms if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is, it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Be gone, Satan. How do you get rid of Satan in your life? Do it like Jesus did. It is written. How do you get rid of Satan? Use the word of God. How do you fight the spiritual battle? With the word of God. One more example of the commitment Jesus had to Holy Scripture. I could take you all over the Bible, all over the New Testament, and show you his commitment. But after the resurrection, this is such a profound picture of the commitment of Jesus to the Scriptures. After the resurrection, he's walking along the way. He has a divine appointment with two unnamed disciples. And those dis disciples begin to talk to Jesus and Jesus shields himself physically from them being able to recognize him as Jesus. And they begin to, to tell him, man, have you heard what happened in Jerusalem? Have you heard about what happened with Jesus? He was crucified. Have you, have you heard what took place? And Jesus begins to talk to them. And he said, oh foolish ones, Luke 24, starting in verse 25, oh foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament, and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the, in the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Isn't that powerful? You know, Jesus could have walked with those guys, walked up to them, he could have done the same thing, shielded himself from being recognized by them. And they're talking about all the things that took place. And then he could have said, hey, I'm here. Hey, it's me. Don't be discouraged. I'm here. I'm here. But what did he do? He said, okay, let me show you. You're confused and you're distraught and you're fearing Let's go back to the Bible. You shouldn't be confused. What did the law say? What did the prophets say? What did the prophecies point to? You shouldn't be shocked. Why? Because the word of God has shown us that this is to take place. And it wasn't even until later he parted ways with them. And they went to the upper room with the other disciples. And Jesus walks in and then reveals himself to them. Can you imagine that moment? They're like, oh, it was him on the road all along. And can you imagine the confirmation in their spirits? What did they say before Jesus left them? Whenever, 
after, or excuse me, after he left them, he said, how did our hearts burn within us when he opened the scriptures? Can you imagine their commitment to the word of God then, after the Son of God explained it to them? Jesus was committed to the scriptures. He had a love for God's word, a high view of scripture, a reverence for the word of God. He had courage, and he loved the scriptures. He was committed to the scriptures. Charles Spurgeon, you guys, many of you have heard of Charles Spurgeon. He was called the, the prince of preachers. I was reading a little bit about Charles Spurgeon. A friend of mine sent a, a link to charlespurgeon.org or .com, and you can go to look at some of his written sermons and some of the things written about him. And I, I got to read journal entries from Charles Spurgeon that they have pre- preserved and typed out because you can't understand his handwriting. And it was his weekly schedule, Monday through Sunday. And after I was done reading Charles Spurgeon's weekly schedule as a pastor, I was like, I think I got to quit the ministry. Like, wow. The commitment he had to Scripture. He would, he would preach on average between six to ten sermons per week. I mean, it takes all I got for one sermon a week. The brother was committed to the Word of God. And, and, and on December 24th, 1893, at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, England, he preached to 6,000 people on Christmas Eve. And Spurgeon preached a Sunday message that he titled, The Best Christmas Fair. And here's his closing remarks on that Christmas Eve. If you choose to starve yourself by a long fast of 50 days, so you must. If I were to sit down and industriously attempt to eat your portion of food and my own too, it would not help you in the least. (laughs) You must eat for yourselves, and there is no knowing the value of God's word till you eat it for yourself. You must personally believe it, personally to trust it, personally receive it in your innermost spirit, or else you cannot know anything about its power to bless and to sustain. I do pray, dear friends, that we may, every one of us tonight, understand what the psalmist meant when he spoke of tasting God's words and finding them sweeter than honey to his mouth. Amen. Commitment to the word of God. So what kind, here's a question for us, what kind of trust do we put in the reliability, the authority, and the sufficiency sufficiency of Scripture? Are we as committed to Scripture as Jesus was? Is the word of God sweeter than honey to our soul, to our mouths? So what do we see so far? Jesus was a man of courage. He was a man who loved the scriptures, committed to scriptures. Thirdly, let's continue on. Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. Back to the text, John 7. So he he goes full of courage to the temple. He sits down, begins to teach, shows his commitment to the word of God. And now let's look at what we see here. He was submitted to the will of the Father. Do we want to be like Jesus? We must be submitted to the will of God. John 7, so Jesus answered them. My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. How is it that this man has learning? Jesus answered in short to their question. That was their question. How is it that this man has learning? Jesus answered in short, I didn't come to do my own thing. I didn't come to teach you a new way. I didn't come to teach you. So I didn't come to point you away from God's word. I came to teach you truly what God's word was about. This is not my own teaching. This is not my own thing. This is 
the Father's teaching. This is what he has given me to say. And notice he says, if somebody comes and is teaching his own way, it's for his own glory. He says, this is not my teaching, not for my glory. I'm speaking for and from someone else. I'll say this, those who speak based on their own authority are only after glory for themselves. That's what Jesus said. Jesus is making it clear that he did not come to receive earthly glory from people who would submit to him in an earthly kingdom. He didn't come to receive earthly commitment from people because of an earthly kingdom. He says, I'm teaching about something that doesn't compute with your idea of Messiah and the kingdom. In short, when Jesus answers their question, why are you teaching, how are you teaching, what are you teaching, Jesus is saying, I am submitted to the will of my Father. That's who Jesus was. He was submitted to the will of his Father. You see it all over the New Testament. A couple places, Philippians chapter 2, this is speaking of the mind of Christ. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, he was God in the flesh, but he took on humanity, did not account equality with God and things to be grasped, but he emptied himself of divine prerogatives, divine rights. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, of a human, being born in the likeness of men. He emptied himself and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being, by being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus was submitted to the will of the Father. He was full of courage, and he loved the scriptures. He was committed to the word of God. We want to be like Jesus? Courage and a love for the word of God and a submission to the will of God. Submission, obedience, obedience and submission, even to the point of death. John 6, 38, we saw it a few weeks ago. Jesus said, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. You know what our problem is in our world today? Do you want to know what the problem is? I've got it fixed. I mean, I've got it solved, not fixed. I've got it solved. Everyone wants to do their own thing. That's the problem right there. If everyone would submit to the will of God, everything would be okay. If everyone would submit to the will of God as revealed in Holy Scripture, the world would be okay. But the reason the world is messed up like it is is because everyone wants to do their own thing, their own way, and not be submitted to authority. The authority of God. The authority of their creator. Under authority. Jesus was under authority. No one wants to be under authority today. They want to be their own authority, right? Jesus, when we say we want to be like Jesus, we're saying that we want to be submitted under authority. What a great picture. Submission to God looks like being under someone. Under, not over. Under authority. Has anybody in here tried to break a horse, a wild horse? Is there anybody, any horse people? You tried to break a wild horse, Shane? Misty, for, for, for sure. I know Misty tried to break a wild horse before. Breaking horses, right? I've never tried to break a horse. I've read about it. <laughs> Seen something on a movie before or a TV. But you know, a wild horse, right? They don't want to be sat on. They want to have some come under somebody. So what happens when you try to break a wild horse? I mean, the horse, I mean, you guys, you guys can probably come and tell me what happens when you try to break a wild horse, but the horse is going to buck and it's going to kick and it's going to neigh and it's going gonna, it's gonna to run and, and, and you, you got to go through the process of breaking that wild horse so that horse would come under the authority of the one that is over it riding on its back, right? 
under authority. Now what's interesting is when that horse is finally broken. When the horse is finally broken, here's some things that are true of that horse. It doesn't lose its strength. It doesn't, use the ability, it doesn't lose the ability to buck that new owner off of its back. It doesn't lose its strength. It doesn't lose the muscles in its legs to run away from its owner. It doesn't lose any of its capabilities. It doesn't lose its God-given identity as a horse. What's changed? It's just now a horse under somebody else's control. Right? And so here's what I'll say about us here today. Many of us want the blessings of God, but we don't want him riding us and bringing us into submission of his will. We're good with courage. (laughs) We're good with loving the word of God. But submission to the will of God? What does that look like for us? You know, meekness and submission is not weakness, but rather power under control. Submission is not weakness, it's power under control and submitted to a greater authority. And and Jesus is the greatest example of that. He had perfect power and perfect strength, yet he demonstrated humble submission to his Father's will. And so for us, what does that look like for us? Submission to authority, what it looks like for us is that it's pride crushing. And it practically looks like this. As a Christian, we can't do marriage our way. Have any of you married people figured that out yet? <laughs> Husbands, wives, you can't do marriage your way and have, a, and have a healthy whole marriage. What about the relationships that you're in? We can't, submitting to God's will and his words, we can't handle relationships the way we want to. Can't just live the way I want to in relationship to other people. When we do that, we destroy relationships. Here's another thing that I think it, it looks like is that we can't handle our finances our way. When we are submitted to God and his authority and his ways, it's no longer our money, but it's God's money. We're accountable to God with what we do with his finances. We're submitted to God and his word and his ways, submission, under. Here's another one. As you, be, as you become a Christian and you have courage and you love God's word, word, God's word of God is shaping your mind and your heart. We can't have our own set of rules for life. There's some of us here today, we want to live by our own set of rules, not by the rules that are laid out in, in the word of God. Submission means that we submit under the authority of God and his word. And Jesus modeled that for us. And we submit to God's way by submitting to what he has revealed to us in his word. So, do we want to be like Jesus here today? What do we see? We see courage. We see a love for the scriptures. And we see submission to the will of God. And lastly here today, what do we see in Jesus Look back at the text, John 17, we're going to see Jesus spoke the truth with clarity. So he was courageous, he, was, he was, had a love for the word of God, a commitment to scripture, he was under the authority of his father, and he spoke the truth with clarity. Look back at the text, John 7, starting at verse 19, he's continuing the conversation with these Pharisees and religious leaders, and he says, has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. <laughs> wow. Who is he talking to right now? He's talking to the keepers of the law, those that God entrusted to interpret the law and to care for the law and to teach the law. He says, has not Moses given you the law? You're a teacher, yet none of you keep the law. Wow. Jesus spoke the truth. Why do you seek to kill me? 
The crowd answers, you have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. You remember Jesus healed on the Sabbath, they were upset. Well, he's, he's, he's getting to this point here. He says, you will circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses will not be broken, you're willing to do a work on the Sabbath so that the law won't be broken in another area. Are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a whole man's body well? Wow. He says, he says has not Moses given you the law, yet, yet, yet you don't keep the law? You're worried about me healing a man on the Sabbath, but you would circumcise a man on the Sabbath. You're worried about one part of a man being made whole and under submission to God's law, yet a whole man's body was made well. You guys get that? Jesus was, Jesus was cool, wasn't he? He's like, you guys are worried about one part of a man's body. I made the whole body well. No need for interpretation there. That's just amazing. And in a world today where there is a famine of speaking the truth, Jesus, isn't he a breath of fresh air? We need to be like Jesus. We need to speak the truth with clarity. We need courage. We need a love for scriptures. We need a submission to the will of God. And when we, when we have those, we will speak the truth with clarity. In a world where there is a famine of speaking the truth clearly, Jesus is a breath of fresh air. You, you know, truth, when it is spoken, brings hope. Why is it that you see a lot of hopelessness in our world today? Because there's no truth being spoken. They're being fed lies. When truth comes in, that's when hope comes in. But nobody wants to speak the truth. No one wants to speak what is clearly true, and so there's no hope, and people are lost in hopelessness because they, they are believing the lies of the evil one. And they're being deceived, and truth needs to come. With truth comes hope. With hope comes truth. Jesus lived a life of truth. He clearly spoke the truth, unmistakable truth. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus spoke the truth clearly. It was unmistakable what he came to do and what he came to say. And in a culture of wokeness, in a culture of that's thrown off objective truth, Jesus stands as a picture for us of what it looks like to simply declare what is true, what is right, what is wrong, what is biblically right, and what is biblically wrong. In a culture where truth is not tolerated, may we be like Jesus and speak the truth clearly. Speaking the truth is not always convenient. Speaking the truth when it reveals what is hidden is difficult. But may we always speak the truth and not worry about the consequences, not worry about what people may say or what they may think. May we speak the truth. May we always speak it in love and full of compassion, yes, but may we speak the truth. I think so often people, well, people hide under the idea that I have to be compassionate and so that I'm not going to really speak the truth. No, you do it with compassion, but someone who's compassionate who doesn't clearly speak the truth is not compassionate. They're deceived. A truly compassionate person will speak the truth, right? If I know you're headed off a cliff to die and, I, and you don't see it and I don't tell you anything because I'm afraid you might be mad at me, I'm not compassionate. I'm evil, right? I'm not compassionate. I'm hateful. We must speak the truth even, even when it might offend, even when 
we, we, might, we might not get the job, even when we might lose our job, even when we might lose some friends. We must speak the truth, no matter the consequences. I've got another story. It's like the story of the two rich brothers. There's two rich brothers that attended the church. They were very wealthy, as I said, rich brothers, but they were very ungodly, very ungodly men. They cheated on their wives. They were mean to their kids and abusive of their kids. They just they lived riotous living, but they came to church on Sundays, and they were there for many years, 30-plus years, 40 years in this church, and the former pastor leaves, and there's a new pastor that comes in. The pastor comes in. He starts preaching truth. He's preaching the word of God, and he's going, and, and church is growing, and they need to build a new building, and trying to raise funds, and in the midst of all of that, the younger of the two brothers dies. So the older brother comes up to the pastor, the new pastor, and says, hey, I want you to do the funeral, but I have something to ask of you to do for me at the funeral. He says, inside this envelope is a check that will pay for the entire building. You can pay for the expansion, pay for the whole building, but you can only cash it if at my brother's funeral you say that he was a saint. So what's the pastor going to do? What's he going to do? Is he going to speak the truth? So he thought quick on his feet. The pastor did. And he said, yeah, give me the check. We'll deposit it tomorrow. I'll call your brother a saint at the funeral. So the funeral day comes, packed church, because everyone, everyone didn't know who they, these guys really were secretly. So they're all there mourning the loss of their, their, their brother. And the pastor gets up. At the conclusion of his eulogy, he says this. It's true. This man was an ungodly sinner, wicked to the core. He was unfaithful to his wife, hot-tempered with his children, ruthless in his business, and a hypocrite at church. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. He was, he was a saint. Speak the truth, right? It's a little funny, funny aside there. Speak the truth. Speak it with clarity. Be bold with the truth. We can't be intimidated to speak the truth. In this section of John 7, we see the character of Christ. We see his commitments. And it, it leads us, as we conclude, it leads us to think about our life. How often do we pray that the Holy Spirit would conform us into the image of Christ? When we look at Christ, the question we have to ask ourselves is this. Do we really desire to be like Jesus? Do we really want to be like Jesus? Because the truth is, is that being like Jesus may bring the same kind of response that he received. Do we really want to be like Jesus? Because if we do want to be like Jesus, we want to be more courageous. We want to be more committed to the scriptures. We want to be submitted to his will and his word and not live a duplicitous life. And we want to speak the truth with clarity. And if we will be that way, we will live like Christ in those ways. We may get some of the same responses that Jesus got. And what, was, what were the responses that Jesus got? Jesus told us in the book of John, he says to his disciples, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. 
And if we will bear the name of Christ, and if we will be courageous, if we will be full of courage and have a love of the scriptures, and we will be submitted to God's authority, and we will speak the truth with clarity, yeah, we may go through times of persecution and struggle and difficulty and relationships may, may struggle because of it, but, but it, in the end of the day, we will be faithful. And I would rather be faithful with God than faithful with men. I'd rather be faithful with God. We want to be faithful with God rather than faithful with men. Amen. Would you pray with me? Amen. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for what we see of the life of Christ in Scripture. God, may we be like Christ. May we be full of courage. God, may we have a love for your word and a submission to your authority. And may we be bold to declare the truth clearly. And may we trust you with the details. I thank you, God, for working in all of our hearts to conform us to the image of the Son so that we can glorify you and so your kingdom will be advanced through the work of the gospel. Lord, convict us and challenge us and change us in the areas where we need to grow. Maybe some of us here today, we've lacked courage or we're not committed to the scriptures or, or maybe we've, we've not been obedient and not submitted to your will. God, I pray that we would repent and we would change, that you would give us courage by your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. I love you. I will see you next week.